you see the title in your outline for the study, and that is Persistence in Prayer and Desperation for God. I absolutely love the passage that I'm going to preach on, and I acknowledge that I, I'm just going to barely scratch the surface with a handful of comments on this wonderful, wonderful, rich passage. But I hope and pray that God will use His Word and what is said tonight uh, in a way that will encourage you, but also I pray that God in and by His loving Holy Spirit will convict us in ways that we can grow in our prayer lives as well. So follow with me, Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Here's the word of the living God. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out, and she began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. How desperate, how desperate are you in your prayer life? Maybe we could rephrase that. How desperate are you for God? How desperate are you for God? Psalm 119 verse 162, David says, At midnight I rise and I give thanks to you. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, Daniel knelt three times a day calling upon his God. Psalm 55 17, we read of the psalmist in the evening, in the morning, and at noon, three times a day calling out to God. Even our Savior, the perfect divine Son of God, Mark 1.35, early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus left to go to a desolate place, and he was praying there. John Bunyan said, you can do much for God after you've prayed, but you can't do anything until you have prayed. Martin Luther said to his friend Philip Melanchthon, Philip, I am so busy today that I have to spend an extra hour in prayer. So, how would you summarize your prayer life in the current season of your life? How would you, how would you summarize? How would you characterize? How would you summarize your prayer life? What, what words might you give to summarize the current state of your prayer life. One of the reasons I love reading the Puritans, and I've benefited so much from the Puritans, 1700s and late 1600s in England, 
is because they described prayer as taking hold of God. Taking hold of God. No, no, no. Not just saying a few prayers, but taking hold of God. It's like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 62, verse 7, when Isaiah describes prayer as give God no rest. Or Isaiah 64, verse 7, he described prayer as those who are taking hold of God. Genesis 32, 28, we know about prayer when Jacob wrestled with God all night. Or James 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly, literally in the Greek, he prayed in his praying that it would not rain. So why is it that that we know how important prayer is, we know how powerful prayer is, we know how God commands us to pray, but why is it that we so often don't pray in persistent desperation? Why do we not do this? In your outline, I give you just a few suggestions that might come to mind and be applicable to you. Number one, I think one reason is laziness. We're just lazy. We're lazy. The crying sin of the church as a whole, especially in America, I think is her laziness after God. Second, another reason why we don't pray with desperation is because of unbelief. And here's a good example. Can God really save our president? Really? Do we believe it? We have to believe that our God can do it. Number three, I think another reason why we may not pray with desperation is because of unfamiliarity. You know, when we pray desperately and then God works and he answers and he acts, it's almost like, but I haven't seen that happen. I haven't seen revival. I haven't seen God answer the big prayers and there's kind of this unfamiliarity. Or fourth, Another reason we might not pray with desperation is because we are plagued with immediacy. I want the answer now. And because God has not answered my prayer now, I guess that means no. I prayed once, but he he didn't answer. Maybe another reason we don't pray with persistent desperation is, is because of indifference, just kind of an apathy. We're, we're just kind of content with the status quo. I'm, I'm sort of content with the state of my Christian life or the state of the church or the state of the nation, and we're okay with the status quo. And yet, church family, what I want you to hear tonight, if you hear anything, hear this. God invites you and me to pray much. He tells you to come now. It's like he says, come often. It's like God says, come again. It's like God says, come in. It's like God, as the owner of the home, throws open the pantry. And he says, children, come and take all that you want. I don't even say that to my children in the home. But God says that to you and me. He shows what happens in the Bible when we pray much. Lion's mouths are shut. The sun stands still. The rain does not fall. And then a man prays and rain does fall. And on and on we could go with the power of prayer. God answers when we pray to him. 
Leonard Ravenhill has helped shape my thinking a lot in the topic of prayer. Ravenhill said, In the matter of New Testament praying, spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-shaking praying never has been so left by so many people to so few. Powerful praying. It's like many people have just left it and they say, Adam, we don't want it. We don't want it. We don't want it. Most people are content with that. And it's been left to the few who are willing to take hold of God in desperate prayer. What I want to do this afternoon with you or this evening with the few verses that we have in Matthew chapter 15 is I want to show you a passage in the Bible where we look at prayer, persistence in prayer, desperation in prayer, and we can learn from a great example of a Canaanite woman. Of all people, a Canaanite woman. Deuteronomy 7, if Israel would have obeyed God, the Canaanites would have been annihilated. But they weren't when they entered the promised land. And here's a woman that has historically been an enemy of the people of Israel. She comes up to Jesus. Look in your outline. Let's learn from a great example. Number one, notice the great need. Verse 21 of Matthew 15, verse 21, Jesus goes away from there. He goes to the district of Tyre and Sidon. That's way up north. And there's a Canaanite woman. I mean, original Jewish readers of the Gospel of Matthew, they would have been, a Canaanite? She's wicked. She should have died when Israel entered the promised land. A Canaanite woman, verse 22, from that region comes out and she begins to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon possessed. Literally in the Greek, she says, my daughter is really badly demonized, severely. I'm a father with five kids. Many of you are parents, grandparents. I mean, can you imagine the, the pathos of a situation where you have a, a son or a daughter, you've got one of your precious children or grandchildren, and, and there's a desperate condition, a, a terrible illness that has overtaken them, a, a condition that's going to take their life, and, and it's like you rush to the hospital, and it's not like you're looking for help. You will find help. And there's emotion and there's passion and there's no shame. And you're willing to just go through any obstacle to get the help that you need. We live, by the way, in a sin-hungry age. And in the sin-hungry age in which we live, we need a prayer-hungry church. Here's a woman with a great need, and she has one place to go, and that's, I got to go to Jesus. Could it be that God may not answer the big prayers? He may not answer the prayers for revival because we lack urgency in prayer. We lack a desperate need in prayer. We're willing to perhaps to say some prayers, but not take hold of God in desperate prayer. I wonder if one of the biggest factors contributing to a delayed God-sent revival, for example, is the omission of soul travail. Travail, travail. God, we need this. 
we're going to perish if we don't see revival. It's almost like sometimes we pray with the take it or leave it attitude. Lord, I kind of hope you'll do this. Lord, I'd, I'd like for you to do this. Rather than a desperate need with a strong desire. Now, think about this for a moment. This mother had a strong desire. She had a need. My daughter needs to be healed. What about your life? What is a great need in your life? A child's salvation? A parent's salvation? A workplace's transformation, a a greater boldness in evangelism, your your university to be be transformed to the glory of Christ, mortifying that pet sin that keeps coming up again in your life? What's that need where you say, God, I need you. Come, bring deliverance in almighty power. Great need, number two. Notice in verse 22, she has a great shamelessness. I remember when I was preaching through Luke all those years ago toward the beginning of our church, coming to Luke chapter 11 when our Lord was teaching about prayer, this was one of those topics kind of in the sermon series that I hope I never forget, how God taught me about the topic of shamelessness in prayer. Look at verse 22. The Canaanite woman from that region, she comes out and and she begins to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is cruelly demon possessed. Christian, hear this. You can never come to God too much in prayer. God will never shame you. He'll never ridicule you. He'll never reproach you. He'll never mock you. Spurgeon said prayer can never be too much. You can never, ever exhaust God with your prayers. God is patiently awaiting you to approach the throne of grace. Look, you sleep at night. He doesn't. He's waiting for you to rise and to come to him in prayer. Do you see in verse 22, that woman cried out loudly. She cried out. It's an interesting Greek word. It means to shout. I'm a street preacher. I appreciate that. A lot of people say you're too loud. This woman was not ashamed. This woman was shameless. Have mercy on me. She didn't care what other people thought. She didn't care what the disciples thought. She was bold, humble, urgent, tireless. And she said, I've got to have the ear of Jesus. Even even the disciples in verse 23, if you look at the end of the verse, 23, the disciples say, Jesus, get this woman out of here. She keeps shouting at us. She was shameless. Puritan said it's better to pray with a full heart and just a few words than to have many words but little heart in prayer. She comes to Jesus and she says, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy. It'd be like you and I praying saying, help me. 
Deliver me. Lord, I need you to act now. I need you to strengthen me. And that's the beauty of our Savior. He is the Lord, the Son of David. Messiah, the Savior, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, the God-man who has come to live and suffer and be rejected and die and make atonement for sin. You can come to Him as Father if you believe in Him. And if you trust in Him, And give your all to follow him as your king and savior and Lord. This woman had a great shamelessness. Number three in your outline, look at this. She also had a great persistence. A great persistence. What does that mean? Over and over and over. Now, there's a a fancy word for that. It's found one time in Luke chapter 11. It's the word importunity importunity. We don't use it much nowadays in English. It's actually an older English word, and it refers to earnest, persistent, shameless pleas to God. E.M. Bounds, when he was writing on importunity and prayer, he said, importunate praying is a mighty movement of the soul to God. It's holding on to God. It's, it's pressing in to God. It's, it's waiting on God. It's kneeling and kneeling and kneeling. And then saying no to many good things so that you can say yes to prayer. It's like knocking on the door of God's house. And then you're knocking again, and then you're knocking again, and then you're knocking again until the Lord opens. I love 1 Timothy 5, 5. Widows are to be put on the list if they pray night and day. Psalm 55, evening, morning at noon, I pray. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. At all times, Jesus gave a parable teaching that his disciples should pray and not lose heart. Keep praying. God hasn't answered yet. Keep praying. It's been years. Keep praying. You think he still hasn't answered? Keep praying. Luke 18, 1, Jesus said it. Pray at all times in the spirit, Ephesians 6.18. Always laboring earnestly for you in prayer, Epaphroditus did in Colossians 4. Even the king of Nineveh, Jonah 3, said, Let men call on God earnestly. Jesus said, Matthew 7.7, Ask, and it will be given. Now, notice here in our text, look at Matthew 15. Notice in verse 22, the first time, she's crying out, the woman is, have mercy on me, Lord. Verse 25, she comes and she bows down before Jesus again, saying, Lord, help me a second time. And then verse 27, yes, Lord, But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from your table. Not once, not twice, three times. I'm going to pray until you answer. I'm going to cry out loudly until I prevail. Abraham did that for Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. Daniel prayed three times a day. The blind men in Luke 18 cried out and screamed so loudly until they were healed from their blindness. 
The disciples are saying in verse 23, Jesus, send that woman away because she keeps shouting behind us. She's shouting. Verse 25, when she says, Lord, help me. It's a word that says, Lord, I need you to run to my cry. I need you, Lord, to run to me. I need you to hear me. Now, we all are aware of what Jesus says, right? Verse 26, Jesus answered and he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, that's kind of a humbling statement. What does that mean? Gentile Canaanite woman, I've come right now for the time being for the Jewish people. It's not right to take what is theirs and give it to the dogs, to you. I mean, that could have shut her up and thrown her out of the room, but it didn't. Verse 27, yes, Lord, what a woman of humility. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs. Something I've learned recently. You know what she does in verse 27? If you look at it carefully, she takes the words of Jesus from verse 26 and she repeats them in verse 27. It's always good to anchor your prayers in the words of Jesus. Give him his word. Show him what he said. Lord, here's what you said in your word. I know you just said it. That's what she does. She's quoting his word right back to him. You and I can do that as we quote the Bible and pray the Bible and pray the scripture. Fourth, this woman had a really great humility. She had a great humility. Yes, Lord, verse 27, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the table. You know what? She acknowledges, I'm I'm a Gentile dog. I get it. I get it. You're, You're the Messiah, the son of David. You've come first to the house of Israel and then for the Gentiles. She understands that. She bows low. She replies. She acknowledges her own humility. And yet, what a picture for me and you. She comes humble, acknowledging her humility. It's like, it's like Solomon. Second Chronicles 6, he knelt and prayed and confessed his sin. It's like Ezra 9, when Ezra knelt and he was prostrate before the Lord and he prayed. Nehemiah 9, he confessed his sin for six hours during the day. The Puritan said, God makes his best people in loneliness. The secret of praying is praying in secret. The secret of praying is praying in secret. Why? Because you can't show off to anybody. (laughs) You can't show off when the door is shut and nobody's there. You can't display your gifts. We can impress other people, but we can't impress God. Here's a woman who is marked by humility. And then finally, she has a great faith. She has a great faith. Yes, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She prevails. Look at verse 28. Jesus said, oh, woman, your faith is great. I love it in the Greek. Mega. You have a mega faith. You have a mega faith. I think a lot of the problems with my praying, I'll acknowledge it, maybe yours as well, 
is we're like the boy who rings the doorbell, but then we run away before God opens the door. We pray. We pray. But then we run away saying, well, the door's shut. Nobody came. But he wants you to stay and linger and pray on. Ravenhill said, the light bulb for us is prayer. God is the one with the power, but it is faith that makes the connection. What does Jesus mean when he says to the woman, you have a great faith? It means that she persisted in prayer even when it seemed like everything was against her. Come on, really? You think God can answer that prayer? You're too loud. You're too annoying. You keep, you keep screaming. You keep shouting. You're a Gentile. You're a Canaanite. Nobody cares about you. Your people should have been exterminated long ago. But she doesn't care. She is a woman of mega faith. Against all odds, she believed. I think that's what Jesus means in Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does that mean? Will he find humble prayer, great faith in prayer? I love this account. So many lessons for us. I think you and I can humbly learn a lot from this Gentile Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. Is there an obstacle that lies in front of your prayers? Pray on. Keep praying. Is the door shut? Knock harder. Don't give up. Keep praying. If you turn the page in your outline, you see a number of points there on importunity in prayer. And I don't have the time to go through all of that, so I'm going to skip that for now. What I want to do is I want to take the theology of prayer, which I think all of us could raise our hand and say, Jeff, I get it. I, I'm there with you. I understand this. But why is it that if we know that prayer is so important and we know that prayer is so powerful and we know that God loves to answer prayer, why is it that prayer is left by so many to just a few? I want to give you some tips. This has been helpful for me, so maybe it'll be helpful for you. I think in our prayer times, there needs to be two kinds of prayer. I'm, I'm convinced of it. One, you see it in your outline, there has to be occasional prayer. Our Savior models it. Mark 1.35, he goes out early in the morning and prays. Occasions, you got to have a set occasion of prayer. Maybe you wake up at 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning, whatever it is, you've got that set time, that occasion where you meet with God. You're, you're with Him, you're in the Word, you're worshiping, you're praising, you're confessing, you're, you're with God. Sleep less if you need to, pray more. But not only is there occasional prayer, I think there needs to be spontaneous prayer. This is what Paul means when he writes, pray continually. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, I, you and I can't just be on our knees all day. It's like that mother, she said, I know what that means. Huh, I get up in the morning and I, and, I, and, and, and I dress myself and I'm reminded that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
I do the dishes at the sink and I'm reminded, oh Lord, would you please wipe away the dirt from my life today? As I'm cooking breakfast, I'm reminded that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And on and on you could go throughout your day with all the activities, spontaneous moments of prayer. I remember in seminary, one of the men who discipled me said this, when God brings someone to mind, pray for him right then. You put it off and say, let me finish this email. Five minutes later, that desire will be gone. When the Lord brings someone or something to mind or an opportunity or, or something that is pressing, take a moment and pray. It can be brief. It can be short. But pray for it. Now, occasional prayer, spontaneous prayer. Now in your outline, well, how do we do this? How do we focus in our prayer time? How do we, how do we grow in our prayer time? Yes, in the prayer meeting, but then individually in our prayer times. I'm convinced, and Joel Beakey has helped me think about this rightly. Number two, two things. We have to take hold of ourselves and we have to take hold of God. Take hold of ourselves and take hold of God. What do you mean? In your outline, notice this. You got to take hold of yourself. Number one, that means you have to understand the privilege of prayer. Look, your father, your father bids you to come. No, no, no. He promises in Psalm 81, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Like a little bird, open your mouth wide and he'll fill it. Number two, we have to take hold of ourselves with the priority of prayer. Bunyan, John Bunyan is so clear here. He said, the man who runs from God in the morning will find it hard to find God the rest of the day. Make it a priority to pray. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to be the Puritans praying three hours a day. Don't, don't try that. 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Read the word, hear from God, turn it into a prayer back to God. Prayer is two-way communication with God. Priority, the place of prayer. How do we take hold of ourselves? Third, with the spontaneousness of prayer. Samuel Chadwick said, hurry is the death of prayer. Can't we all relate to that? Hurry is the death of prayer. Oftentimes, the evil one can so attack us by just making us busy. How do we take hold of ourselves in prayer? We do so with triune praying. Next, triune praying. We come to God. We come through Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. How amazing that our prayers is like a quartet. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and me. A quartet and you. What a great God. We can also take hold of ourselves in prayer next by praying with other people. Praying with other people. Never underestimate the power and the encouragement and the edification that comes by mutual prayer with other believers. 
take hold of yourself in prayer. I think much of our growth in the discipline of prayer is that we got to take hold of ourselves. It's a discipline. It's like working out. It, it doesn't happen magically overnight. It takes little by little growth and strength over time, taking hold of ourselves, and then second, taking hold of God. Look in your outline. How do we do that? How do we take hold of God? I mean, look, if the government says you can't meet for prayer, guess what? We're going to meet for prayer. Why? Because we have to take hold of God. It's not optional. We have to take hold of our great God. Why and how? Number one, by pleading the promises of God. Think of the hundreds of promises in the Bible that God, our Father, gives. Spurgeon has a great sermon on the shalls of the Bible. I shall do this. I shall do this. You can read that and be a great encouragement. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the Psalter is the great school of prayer. How do we learn how to pray well? By pleading the promises of God in the scriptures. How do we take hold of God? Number two, by praying in faith. Praying in faith. Remember Jacob? He sends his family across the Jabbok and he sends them to safety and then he goes back and what does he do? He meets an angel. More technically, it's the angel of the Lord. Well, more specifically, it's Jesus. He wrestles God. Jacob is wrestling God. He takes hold of God. He will not let God go. And then he even says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then amazing, get this. Genesis 32 verse 28. You have wrestled with God and prevailed. You've wrestled with God and prevailed, praying in faith. I, I, Lord, I can't let you go. I'm going to keep praying this. I'm going to keep bringing it before you, praying and asking and urging and begging until the cause is won. Next, how do we take hold of God? By praying persistently like that persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 when she comes to the judge and he's like, man, you're going to wear me out coming so much. Well, if that's what a human judge would do, how much more would a loving father, how much more would a loving father give to his own children when they come to him persistently? Matthew chapter 7 in the story of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, the man is in bed with his family. Hey, we're sleeping. But the guy keeps knocking. No, no, no. I need, I need bread now. Ah, we're already in bed. No, I need, I need food. He gets up and he gives him what he needs. You pray persistently. How do we take hold of God? I think one more is very important. We need to pray and watch. And then we need to thank God when he answers. You know, a little boy who rings the doorbell. Well, God didn't come. And then he walks away. He doesn't thank the Lord. But if you ring that bell, and you ring that bell, and you're there, and you wait, and then he opens the door. Oh, thank you. Thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. I think very quickly as we close... How much we value prayer 
is often shown by how much time we devote to prayer. Can I say it again? How much we value prayer is demonstrated by how much time we devote to prayer. But here's the catch. The Bible never says you got to pray five hours a day or one hour a day. It doesn't say that. There's no time amount. The question is, how desperate, how urgent, how much do we want our God and value prayer? I will close by just reading a couple of brief lines from E.M. Bounds on prayer. Ian Bounds tells us how vast are all the possibilities of prayer. How, how wide is the reach of prayer? What great things are accomplished by this means of grace? Look, when you pray, he says, it lays your hand on Almighty God and it moves God to do what he might not otherwise have done if you hadn't prayed. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. The promises of God are so great to those who truly pray that when we give ourselves to prayer, God is well pleased to hear and answer the prayers of his people. Church family, let's grow. Let's be a praying people. A praying people individually, yes. And a praying family as well, corporately. Depending on and leaning on prayer by the power of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to pray now in this prayer meeting. To take hold of ourselves and to take hold of you that we would pray in faith, that you would be glorified and honored in what is done. In Jesus' name.